0: morning. Good morning. It's lovely to see you all. Um, it's a sunny day. All is well. Um, my name's Tamsin and my pronouns are she and her. Um, and yeah, sorry about the fewer tables. It feels like we're just forcing intimacy, and I feel if you're not someone who feels very comfortable in the front row, we've just forced it upon you from having no other tables available. It's one way to make it feel, you know, fuller than it is. No apologies, we'll, we'll, we'll spread out some more tables for you. Um, well, We are in a um, series around um, the stories that form us um, and what we do with them, how we Live into them. What do we do to just either go with stories that are offered to us, or plant ourselves around stories that are perhaps more life-giving to us? Um, and formation stories are all around us. If you get a chance to listen to um, Shane's talk last week, um, I would, yeah, I would advise you do it. It's been, and he will speak about that again. Um, but just talking about narratives that. Uh, can really rob us of something of our humanity. Um, And they're sometimes inflicted by society, by government, by um, empire. There can be really big stories that sort of control how we live. And they can also be sort of more um, subtle or more permeative. They sort of get around us um, and... They're just influencing, uh, if we're on social media, there's things coming at us all the time that are sort of speaking into our identity. Um, And one dominant story that Shane referred to is that of um, sort of self-made, self-sufficient success that we're kind of called to... um, be everything of our, in and of ourselves, um, that avoids relationships of dependent care and vulnerability, that somehow we're meant to make it on our own in a certain way and that showing need, showing kind of mutual care is a sign of vulnerability. Um, and it sort of struck me this week. I had um, a really terrible Thursday. I don't know why. Right from the get-go, it was a day um, I have a nearly three-year-old and she was just in a bad space right from the get-go, and it was a day I was going to have her all day on my own, and um, George was going to be out all evening um, with a sick friend till about before after she'd gone to bed. So it's just going to be me, and I just was like, I right, better brace myself. Little activities, we should be fine. Catch up with someone that'll keep me sane, and um, I'm starting to forget that now my plans can be thwarted by the opinions of this small tyrant (laughs) who might not want to do all these things, that might not want to go out for coffee. What? What? (laughs) It's essential. It's a a non-negotiable, that one. Um, And I got to mid-afternoon, and I was really just not enjoying it, just many things of the day. And um, I thought of this neighbour we have who's um, I really enjoy her presence and she, she lives on her own, an older lady. and um, I thought maybe I should call her over to come and have a cup of tea for me <laughs> just to kind of relieve just a break from just what was going on in the house. And, um, and I just sort of caught, and I sort of talked myself out of it like come on. You don't need. You just kind of put yourself. And I didn't. I didn't reach out to her. And um, it was only later this evening when I was trying to craft another thing to do with, to fill up the day. But I thought, well, just get the prayer mat and we'll go to the library. And um, and we we went past her house and um, she was out the front, which which was so nice to see her. And um, and I asked how she was. And um, and she just she just couldn't quite speak. She just started to well up in her in tears of um, and she's not doing well, like, she's really not okay, and she, um, I said, oh, I was gonna, you know, I'd love you to come over, and she said, that would be nice, and that kind of struck me of the, I sort of talked myself out of needing this person, you know, I sort of could do it all myself, and it really didn't dawn on me that perhaps she, she would have really valued coming over to my house to be with me, it just didn't, and I, I just kind of, and we sort of went on to the library, and I, um, yeah, I hope to to kind of follow up on that. And it's sort of just symbolic of a story that was going on in my head of me having to sort of, come on, it's just a day, it's just with a toddler, I can do this. And it missed this beautiful opportunity to connect with another human in need. Um, and and I the reach out would have been a sign of something good and I missed it. Um, so, yeah, Shane, your story um, sort of resonated a little bit with me this week. Um, and <coughs> the alternative... We look at the stories around um, the Gospel as kind of presenting an alternative stories to some of this dominant stuff, um, of care, of deep care, of belonging and interconnectedness um, that's recorded in the Gospels. And we're gonna do that over the next few weeks. We're gonna kind of walk systematically sort of step by step through the Gospels and look at what does the story, this part of um, the Jesus story tell us um, and what are rituals that the church has crafted in reaction to that story and even practices that we adopt. Um, And we're going to use these terms, ritual and practices, kind of in a way that's not super, super locked in place. But for our framework, um, we're going to refer to ritual as something done in the collective that involves actions and steps that are practised in a certain order. So something kind of, I guess, a little formal in a ritual that we do together um, based around a story. Um, And rituals in church you know, baptism would be one or even communion, these steps that we take again and again together. Um, and they can be, sometimes through the Christian calendar, we see sort of steps even given to us. Um, they can be weekly or even one-off life events as these rituals that we find um, as a response to, to the Gospels. And we're going to look at practices as perhaps more things that we adopt personally personally as um, formation things that we do to form our spirituality um, responses to the gospel. So more ritual in a more collective idea and practices as something formative within ourselves that we do to perhaps enrich our communal life but a bit more personal um, so that's not the definition of those terms, I know. And you can have a collective practice and a private ritual. So <laughs> don't, don't throw don't throw anything at me right now. Um, so we're going to start uh, looking at baptism. It's a really interesting ritual um, that comes from a story. Um, And uh, the baptism story is in all four Gospels of some form. There's not many stories that are just fairly sort of consistent across the four Gospels and in Acts. Um, And it seems like a significant moment in knowing who Jesus was and how he came to be. Um, And at the time, I'm going to click... Um, Oh, there you go. There's the River Jordan. Um, So at the time, um, it was uh, under the very, very harsh Roman Empire was dominating everything. Um, It was one of the mightiest and most horrific empires the world has ever seen. Um, And under this system, you were to pledge your allegiance to Caesar and declaring Caesar as Lord, ultimate authority over all. Um, And Temple Judaism was... Tolerated but very conditional in that context. Um, so there wasn't a lot of freedom of speech or sort of liberation um, in either the world. So it's a kind of a tense political time, and to step out of line would have had very significant ramifications. Um, and we get John, this character, um, John the Baptist, uh, as a pretty wild and kind of old kooky, uh, honey-eating, bug-eating um, character who's living a certain lifestyle sort of in reaction to um, uh, this dominant culture around him. And we get one... I don't know why it never dawned on me that John and Jesus would have known each other as cousins. But in one of one of the Gospels, we get the record that they're actually cousins um, and related. Um, that's only sort of recorded once. But um, so that... We have our John character who's quite wild and is doing something quite political in baptising people in the River Jordan um, and proclaiming something of a messianic or a um, sort of someone is to come that is going to reveal truth in a pretty powerful way and I'm here to baptise you to get yourselves right in light of this incoming truth bomb, I oh, hate I never use that term so I don't know. <laughs> but like um, <laughs> but he's kind of got this kind of urgency about him this there's something coming and my job is to to prepare you and I'm going and in some of the records we get this real kind of judgment you know don't you dare come close to this truth story behaving in dehumanizing ways don't think that you can get away with that when the truth arrives um, so get yourselves right because something is, is about to break into um, the story. He didn't quite know who it was. And I, I highly doubt he would have just thought it was his cousin. If I think of my cousin, you know, Kazza, you know, I don't think, oh, something grand is going to come through my cousin Kazza. Sorry, Kaz. But, like, um, but, yeah, you don't offer, you know, so who, who knows what he, whom he thought the Messiah would come. Um, so this moment would have come as quite a shock to him. Would anyone like to read um, a scripture from t- today from Mark? Um, It's not super long, it's this long. Um, Anyone feeling like they haven't read scripture and really would like to up their scripture reading quota for the little... Yep, Jeanette. Thanks, Jeanette. Mark 1, 1 to 11.
1: Here begins the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it was written in Isaiah the prophet. I send my messenger before you to prepare your way a herald's voice in the desert, crying, Make ready the way of our God, clear a straight path. And so John the Baptizer appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to John and were baptised by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and he ate nothing but grasshoppers and wild honey. In the course of his preaching, John said, One more powerful than I is to come after me. I am not fit to stoop and untie his sandal straps. I have baptised you in water, but the one to come will baptise you in the Holy Spirit. It was then that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptised in the Jordan River by John. Immediately upon coming out of the water, Jesus saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Then a voice came from the heavens, You are my beloved, my own, on you my favour rests.
0: You are my beloved, my own, on you my favour rests. We have a... A little tradition here that when we kind of encounter a a piece of scripture um or a text um a really nice way to approach it rather than oh well here are all the things I know to be true about this text um and that to be a power play of who in the room has the most you know knowledge you know theological knowledge about something but that we approach it with curiosity and that we are perpetually learning and meditating on something. So this is never a done thing, that scripture is complete and its interpretation is complete. Um, so questions we like to, to ask ourselves are things. One is, I notice, and you might notice something about this that you haven't noticed before. Or I wonder, um, like I was, you know, I wonder what John's experience of seeing his cousin or relative coming to him to be baptised um what was that like um how political was this space what were they nervous about doing this like i I wonder some of those questions myself um but i'm just going to open up the mic if anyone does anyone have any noticings or wonderings as they read this sarah
2: i guess my wondering was um when when did jesus know or realize that he was the son of god Like from when he was born, or was it this moment when the spirit descended that he was like, Oh my gosh, it's me? Or, yeah, that's a that's a wondering that's just come to me. It's a really wonderful
0: question, Rod.
3: Um, Your cousin Kaza comment just got me wondering about John's reaction to this event, which I'd never really reflected on before, because I know. In another gospel, later on, he sends his followers to sort of question Jesus. So, yeah, that sense that he he was like, oh, Cousin Joe, what? Uh, um, yeah, that his reaction was, um, yeah, I'm expecting this, you know, figure. He was a pretty intense dude. And then, yeah, his little cousin comes and him being sent into a spiral of kind of confusion and disappointment, (laughs) potentially.
2: Um, I just find it interesting reading again um, this passage, just seeing how much our heart wants to clear ourselves of sin and wanting to be better people that may be someone a bit more out of the ordinary, like John, you know, the way he presented himself or the way he ate wasn't very um, of the time. And so how so many people rushed to him wanting forgiveness of their sins, wanting to be cleansed. Um, it's just really interesting, I think.
4: Yeah, similar, actually, the, the, the bit in there I noticed about all the people of Jerusalem went out to John. I'm reading this thinking, is that a translation? Or, like, do they really want to communicate that, a massive amount of people were involved in this. I, I hadn't, I hadn't read it before, thinking that the scale of people involved in what John was doing. So
0: it made me do. I went and cross-checked because I was the same. I was like, "Is this? Is this, this one?" And it's in multiple, you know, of the, the gospels. So it must be. And I think it's more an emphatic. You know, obviously, you know, there's something the writers are trying to emphasise that many pe- people were drawn and coming. Um, which would have made people nervous in both the temple... Yeah, you know, like, this, this is a left-field character, not cleansing people in the temple, as was known to be done. This is not a sort of a, um, a mikvah or a cleansing practice that would have been approved by temple. This is something left-field. Um, but, yeah, anyone? Yeah, Shane.
3: Yeah, that just gets me thinking about what sins they were confessing to and what they were repenting from. Like, was it collaboration with Empire? Was it ritual purity stuff, but they're not doing it in the temples? So it seems, like, strange that those kinds of people would be confessing to not keeping Torah, you know? Like, yeah, I just want, like, it seems a lot like, kind of, like, more like a Essene kind of group escaping, going out in the wilderness and, you know, like, trying to, throw everything like you know throw off you know living off the grid Um, yeah I just wonder what their confession was mm. Um, I just noticed that really evocative sentence that was the description he wore camel's hair and a leather belt and ate nothing but grasshoppers and wild honey and I just wonder um, if there's like something equivalent in, in our modern world that's something like this I wonder, maybe like a freegan, like a dumpster diver or something, like, yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah. You like like those sort of uncomfortable people in our midst who we're on one, kind of looking from one angle are completely bonkers and from another level perhaps are bearers of truth, you know, and sometimes, yeah, I don't know, no sort of pointing to people in the room who you think is that. Um... Yeah, I found it um, really interesting kind of looking at um, kind of this moment of when Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, was baptised, so would have been kind of moved, gone into, walked into the water, fully immersed under um, and came out. Um, Jesus saw the heavens opening and the spirit descending on him like a dove. So Jesus saw that. Did anybody else see that is my question. Um, And a voice came from heavens. Again, that voice, is that to Jesus or to everyone? Uh, You are my beloved, my own. On you, my favour rests. And in another retelling of this, um, in Matthew, the voice says, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. And so in Matthew's retelling, it's like a, a proclamation here, this is my son. In this retelling, it's almost very vulnerable and intimate. You are my, like a, a very personal encounter is recorded. You are my son or you are my beloved, my, my own. There's different versions of how this is crafted. So I just find um, the retelling here in Mark, the intimacy quite beautiful as an image of a divine truth that is shared heart to heart and um, has anyone heard of the term a thin space? It's a Celtic tradition called a thin space. Um, oh, so there's a cow if you're wanting another image of the, the river Jordan if you're curious as to kind of what that landscape looks like and what moving down into that water looks like. Um, but um, a thin space, um, it's a... And it's Irish Celtic law. Uh, these places that veil between this world and the other world where that veil is porous or a moment happens um, where there's mystery in the landscape. Um, this term continues to be used in reference to moments or thresholds where life is marked, my deep connection rather than separation. Um, time stands still. Time seems to stand still. there is a discernible sense of sacredness and the world around us speaks its own story to those who are listening. Um, we see in Exodus of take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground of these holy sacred spaces in actual or uh, perhaps even moments in experience that are sacred. Um, and a sacrament, which is sort of a these things that we do of just... Um, is when something holy happens, transparent time, which you can see through to something deep inside of time. You are apt to catch a glimpse of the almost unbearable preciousness and mystery of life. Um, and I guess a question I sort of, I kind of came to. So I'll just move that to um, a Frederick Bockner um, quote. But I, I, this moment f- of Jesus, of you know if looking from Mark's description of you are my beloved, my own, on you my favour rests, um, can be a real elevation of Christ. I was taught of this as like, well, this is a glorious elevation of Christ and, you know, now we are to elevate Christ as a response rather than, well, that was a radical declaration of a a divine truth in a moment to a person reflective of an epic divine truth that is always true um, like this expanding the particular story of Jesus and his baptism is it a story that we look at as a particular that is a truth for all that that you are my beloved my own on you my favour rests is that a statement that is true for everyone or was it just a specific special reference to Jesus um, And the the church has taken this moment and formed it into ongoing practice of baptism, kind of in line of John's baptism, but what John was doing. But then, as a Christian, what does that mean for a person who believes in Christ to to enter into water and to come out um, baptised, as John said, in the Holy Spirit or in other places, in fire? Um, And... Do rituals that are held in love and authenticity reveal true trans offer the platform for true transformation and set the stage, the heart and the mind for a moment of connection? Um, like what's what's the point of a ritual? Why do we do these things and why have we taken the ritual of baptism from this story um, and through the church uh, to, to offer something? you know, those words were spoken then, are they spoken always? Um, And the history of baptism, like, gosh, we need, how long have you got? Let's let's have a whole second. But a really fascinating journey of the history that what the church has done with that story and then trying to ground it in their collective lives. What do we do? Christ has risen and Christ in the risen state called us to go out and baptise people. What does that mean, and at the time it meant to sort of, to uh, to cleanse them of something, um, did it mean to ritually cleanse them of their shortcomings, you know, of, but it also meant to be included into something of this new church or this new movement that was forming, you are baptised into this family of God, reflecting the truth of this divine statement that is, you know, you are belonging to God, beloved of God, in family with God, And pleasing to God, what does that mean as you go about your life in the world in a dominant system as a church? Um, So, alas, no history lesson today on the baptism (laughs) of this. But we do leapfrog because we're talking about baptism here in a church now that is part of a Christian tradition that has taken these steps. At times, baptism has meant um, political allegiance to powers that be in the church that you show your baptism, I, I was baptised in this church, I was baptised in this church, I was baptised in this. So this shows my allegiance to a certain set of doctrines. Baptize, baptism has also meant, you know, I'm I'm symbolically cleansed by God of all my shortcomings um, and any other... Baptism is, as I say, it's, it's meant different things to the church at different times. And we get to a time now when we say, well, does those th- do those same things mean that to us? Do we do baptism in our church to be ritually cleansed from all of our shortcomings? My, my question to would say, that doesn't feel life-giving as birthed from our community. It's not the language we use in our community. Um, <clears throat> but we don't want to lose rituals around stories and baptism seems to hold beauty and symbolism that resonates with us as we try and live out this other story in our life as well. Um, we, um, we t- our role is to discern what, what is a life-giving ritual to us um, and what does not bring life and what words do not bring life. We're tasked with leaning into practices that give birth to life, freedom, justice, restoration and transformation. And we hope that baptism... As a ritual in our midst can still be that, um, and I don't have a lot of reference here in Fitzroy North because I was here. For, I've been here for nine years, and I we didn't have a baptism in the nine years. I was, and I think partly I've questioned why have we not done this ritual here? In part, many people have been baptised in their churches that they came from. In part, we're a church that questions and makes sure things are life-giving and that they aren't just assumed that. We're going to do baptism because we believe you need to state these doctrinal statements, so that you need to sign up to the Christian line. We don't—that's not the way we. This community speaks about our living faith and relationship with God. Um, that was until last year. We, um, our friend Percy, uh, asked if they could be baptized here, and um, I could speak about that event. I think for many of us who were there, it was a real really significant and a highlight of the year um, and very moving moving experience um, to be the body baptizing this person and um, and what happened the symb- like the symbols were everywhere and the role of the church and the act itself and the drama and the water there was it was something you know, it was really something and it really was a marking point for us as a church. And we don't get many of those marking points. And even in our spirituality, we have small, thin spaces, but sometimes marking stages are very powerful um, and as in our reaction and response to the divine happenings. But my words um, are not enough, I think, to share about that experience. So I, um, I asked um, Percy uh, – this is not Percy – I asked Percy <laughs> – <laughs> uh, <laughs> baptise about. Um, uh, this was the, the baptismal font that we, from Shane's backyard, <laughs> is, we're going to do it our way, we have um, that just quirky and beautiful enough to go, oh this is just, um, and uh, so Percy has shared these words and wished Percy could be here to share them with you, um, so they send their, they're here in spirit and I'm going to read you their words in reflection to their baptism that was last year. <clears throat> Last year, I was re baptised as an affirmation and recommitment to my faith as an enthusiastic queer and trans person with my correct name and gender identity. Experiencing baptism in this community was one of the most significant and special moments of my life. Standing up vulnerably in front of a community that has stood by and nurtured me throughout my transition and my life while my trans body was enveloped in water was a moment that, to me, exactly reflected the love and beauty of the divine. When I leaned into Annika, Tamsin and Shane while they lowered me into the water, the room completely silent except for the movement of water. I think there was a feeling in the entire room of shared love, connection and joy. It felt like the divine was present, and I felt a sense of belonging, peace and love. After surfacing from the water, I stood completely wet wrapped in towels while people gathered around me to pray. And when I looked around the room afterwards, almost everyone was crying. It was a vulnerable moment, leaning entirely on my community and trusting fully that I would be completely held. It's a moment that was special to share with a community who's loved me deeply for many years now. I think something like that just holds more than a history lesson in baptism. But um, all we can see is what does the inbreaking of um, this ritual, this whole, this divine holding, but there's also very human holding of one another, so that we say to one another, "You are the beloved," um, and if the world may not tell you that, but we will do our best to tell you that. Um, and in this act, your whole body your whole body, your mind, your, your flesh, your spirit is fully enveloped in the in the divine self, you know, and we are witness to that. Um, and I just found that, resp- as they, they shared this with me, quite moving. Um, and I, I wonder if anyone has any uh, reflections on that or even on their own, if they've had a baptism experience, a ritual that they went through um, and would like to share with us, Um
4: My reflection is just that that is so utterly and profoundly different to my recollection so i was baptized as a teenager in a pentecostal church and the real focus was just on the this this is the moment when you're cleansed of your past sins which then just becomes like you only get one baptism so cool okay we've wiped out everything before that there's a lot of pressure now going forward don't screw it up again because you don't get to get baptized again and it just that that was the overriding sort of memory or takeaway from from my own baptism story was just that feeling of okay cool well now I've got a really laser laser like focus hold the line sort of thing not life-giving at all just completely different to, the, to, to what you've just described and yeah I'm, I'm really glad that Percy's experience was so life-giving and not anything like mine
0: kind of forced even me in my theology and we don't talk of sin here nearly never we just don't refer to the term it's just such a long history but um i think i don't know where someone told me about you know one framework of sin is just looking at sin as disconnection and that we are disconnected from ourselves and from one another and from the earth and from the spirit enveloping and, and sin is that disconnection. You know, it's not this shame of all those little things that you, like this real condemnation of t- little things that you're doing and, you know, or, but it's kind of, oh, sin is, uh, it's, not a sh- it's a life-giving concept because of the divine desire for connection so, so that I I feel more comfortable referring to sin now in my thinking of going. Oh, I do want to be like you're saying. I want to, I want to be connected to the divine. I want to be connected to myself, and I want to be connected to. I I want and lots strips away at that, and even these stories around us strip us away of these connections. And I want to find communities or places of reconnection, and there is the the work of restoration around sin. Is, but, yeah, so but the sin is such a problematic term and I, I was never taught such a, you know, a different way. I was probably similar. <laughs> Anyone else have any thoughts or – yeah.
2: <clears throat> I thought it was lovely to hear Percy's perspective of their baptism. Um, it just had me reflecting that when you're – well, coming from a Pentecostal background like Alan myself myself um, – when you go and have your baptism it feels a lot like it's meant to be a cleansing and you're meant to come out brand new and your life is changed from that moment and you should feel like a new person and the spirit enters you and da 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 and honestly when I had that moment I didn't feel any of that I was questioning myself um and where what did I sit in the divine's perspective of me um but hearing Percy's perspective of how they came out and it was just an overwhelming love from the community I never like even thought that that's how you're meant to feel after, instead of this thinking, oh, why wasn't it like this? I was meant to experience this, but it's the genuine love from people. I think should be what you think about when you, yeah.
5: Thanks, thanks for that. You you crystallised the what I was sort of floating around. You started with the story about your neighbour and. Um, the, the, the sense of, if I heard it correctly, I was thinking about myself and my own need and where I was... And then reflecting later, when you heard about your neighbour, about maybe the act, if I, if I had have done that, there was something in it back the other way, that they, their needs. So there was something about, in these things, um, your, your own um, feelings and your own... ..what am I sort of getting out of it or experiencing and I I was connecting it with the story that you you mentioned and Shane was talking about of of empire and the story of being self-sufficient and what have you and even in the act of baptism or um I'm jumping but there was another incident where uh, a few years ago a a chap died and um, he didn't want a funeral didn't want any prayers didn't want anything I just you know I'm dead and what have you and there were a number of people that felt cheated in that, that, in fact, I I would want to honour this person. And so there's something about, in that empire story, if I label it as that, of being self-sufficient and it's about me and it's about what I get out of it and I want to be authentic and that, that... is is deficient and and it's actually moving back out of that story into a more of a community story that in fact these things of baptism or funerals or um even a sense of you know how am i feeling and will i reach out to my neighbor that there's a if i'm you know i'm fumbling around it but there's a that if you stand in a different sense of that we are all interconnected and In me doing that, it's as much what other people are experiencing back the other way. Yeah. I don't
3: know. Yeah. I'm doing what I tell other people not to do. Um, But, yeah, just with weddings. The way that, that, like, weddings, like, and have become so couple-centric and the sense in that, like, you know... Having watched lots of weddings play out and the kind of <laughs> devastation of relationships that it takes to make to craft this perfect wedding, rather than being a celebration of community and support and inclusion, actually a celebration about the community as much as it is about the couple, it's kind of like this one day of our lives that we get to have everything our way, and um, and it's actually all about us. And yeah, like I feel like there's a parallel kind of hijacking of the narrative of what these once communal rituals were of inclusion and belonging and things like that have just become extensions of our own autonomy, yeah. Snaps. Snaps. Gracie snaps.
0: Any other... Yeah, Josh.
3: I am friends with Percy's housemates as well, who are not religious at all, and they came along to that event and... um, Yeah, it's just worth saying, like, it was hugely, hugely significant for them as well, Um, from the non... not being part of this community, but being let into a version of faith and spirituality that they just did not think could exist, Um, and seeing Percy being so held um, and loved in their queerness and their faith. Yeah, like... Uh, this is not my words this is theirs like was incredibly healing and powerful so yeah um on on that like on the day i felt that same invitation from percy's community like it said so much about percy that their queer community trusted them enough to come into the space in a church where the history of that community and churches has been abhorrent and exclusive and incredibly traumatizing like I was I just felt like unbelievably humbled that their community would trust Percy enough to come into what has been incredibly hostile territory historically and go because Percy is there we will invite this church community into our community and space as well and yeah that just yeah that just really moved me that level of trust like it was like almost like a mutual baptism you know like a two-way baptism of like the sense of going like yeah, we will embrace your community into ours as well, which I thought was just really lovely, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's the gift of these rituals, There's this kind of mutual porous giving and um, and these occasional moments of divine, sacred, like there's this, the truth, like it's not always, like we can probably all have stories. I have stories of where church has fallen short, where this church will fall short. Yeah, you know, like this. these are not, this Community centered. These are moments where we call out when we see God at work in our communal, in our personal lives. We call them out to find what about that was resonant of of the divine. Um, well, I'm aware of time um, and how we we conclude this. And I, I was sort of thinking about ritual and then practices of of baptism because the conclusion of this is if you haven't been baptized yet, well then do it, <laughs> um, that's not, <laughs> next week the bath is back, um, <laughs> so let's just line you up, um, that is not the out, like it's the kind of, um, yeah, this story, the story that we've looked at, um, these words, um, what are the practices that as we form it in our own spiritual formation we can apply um, these divine truth and truths. Um, One, we might just finish with a little reflective practice that um, I know you might be kind of on the ready-to-go edge. um, But it will just be a few minutes and um, a few things you might want to just pause and reflect on. One might be, but not for this table over here, to be reflect on your own baptism. Um, You can indeed if you want to, but just kind of in perhaps, um, yeah, we don't have many kind of moments that are crafted in community in our spiritual formation that are quite like something like that so if you have had a baptism story in your own perhaps um, reflect on um, uh, what did it feel like in your body Um, who witnessed that moment what senses do you recall Um, uh, is there something from that experience that that continues to offer meaning today um, I completely forgot that my parents were, like, it's funny, like, in my memory of my baptism, my parents were there, and my friends were there, but I, it was a very kind of concentrated experience, so if you want, just for our small little reflection time, you can ponder that, um, and offer a prayer in response to that of, I wish it was something else, you know, I wish, um, but it might be that we look at this living truth, or this living thin space that Jesus had this truth kind of presented to him um, with those words of, um, you are my beloved, my own. Um, on you my favour rests. You are chosen, and in another translation, you are chosen and marked by my love, pride of my life. And I'm, I'm going to have the audacity to say that this is a true statement. This is not just only for Jesus. This is a true statement. Um, and if you'd like to object to that, try me. Because <laughs> I, I, tell me otherwise, like like spell it out. <laughs> like, but spell it out. Oh, you are not the beloved. You're like this is you know have the audacity to um you know I'm just I've just put it out there. You can but um so if you want to um but there's powerful if it's a bit too overwhelming um you might um say you know it might be um, we are the beloved. We're, on us, our favour rests. You know, we are chosen and marked by love, pride, or whatever feels feels life-giving to you. And if you want to have a reflection on that, I've printed it out. If you want to just hold it or take it just as a little something, that sometimes that's helpful on tables. Um, and if that's... Um, this last kind of thought is if... Um, yeah, well, it's not enough for everyone, but only if someone wants one. Um, is if... Um, you are struggling or would like to pray for someone you know in this little opportunity. Um, I sort of, being trauma-informed, maybe just it's a short time, so maybe not the most challenging person in your world, Um, but uh, that a a prayer form that might offer life for you is they are God's beloved, counted as God's family, on whom God's delight rests, Um, is a reflection that you might want to um, use as a way to pray for someone um, and say a little prayer for them, or you may want to use this as just a meditative time of stilling your mind. Um, it Will only be a few minutes. We might have some really quiet music, uh, Warwick, like really, really small, just sort of something subtle. Um, and you might want to close your eyes. Um, you might want to keep your eyes on the on there. Um, but if you want one of those things as well, so we're just going to finish with a, just a small reflective practice. Um, before I pray and we have communion together, is that clear-ish sort of? Okay. All right. I'll just start with a little prayer before we have that moment. Um, divine uh, presence here in the room, uh, breaking in with truth that is always true, and that we that it is good news. Um, uh, our I pray uh, just in this time that uh, our minds are settled and our hearts are settled and that good news rests heavily on us in life-giving ways. We are the beloved. Amen. Amen. Thank you for (coughs) being with me in my ponderings today as us. Um, We have a practice of communion here, um, or or a ritual. Uh, Maybe it's both. Uh, We have a... ..where we come and stand in a circle around um, some crackers and a small grape juice and um, it has many symbols um, but it's a real symbol of this equal table of inclusion and belovedness that we ever increasingly include and, and include and include there is no out of this table this is a ever inclusive table um and so you're welcome to take of the elements or you're welcome to stand in the circle or you're welcome to stay seated whatever you do so we will come around together um and take a cracker and we will then um say a prayer before we finish up today may we know of our belovedness may we live out of our belovedness may we go as baptized people Known, loved, invited into another story. People who are marked by one small step after another towards that which is good, that which brings life and restores dignity to all things. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.